see the mix of nationalities here. Hi, this is Patrick Burton. Thank you for joining our Lives Online podcast series sharing highlights of fieldwork Monica Bolger and I completed for UNICEF in East Asia. We share stories that allow you to dive deep into the lives of the 300 children we spoke with about their social media use. This dispatch focuses on understandings of data privacy amongst teens in East Asia. At a school in Phnom Penh, 10 kids squeeze around a single round table. We're in the large schoolyard and about 200 younger children play around us, calling to each other, running around, climbing on tables beside us and tossing a ball that seems roughly half their size. Midday is sweltering, and we sit under one of the few clusters of trees. When we speak about apps they use, conversation is lively, with many children speaking at once. But when we ask what social media apps might know about them, conversation stalls. What do you mean, one girl asks, leaning forward, pressed between two classmates? We clarify, asking what information they might have given the apps when they signed up. Name, one answers. Telephone number, another volunteers. We spread out two large white sheets of paper and ask them to write down other things apps might collect about them. Location, friends, likes, hobbies makes the list and then they stop. When we repeat this exercise with other groups from the same school it is apparent that most had not thought about what apps might collect about them. When asked why apps might collect information a boy volunteers to check our age and to remind us of old posts. A school for Somali refugees in Kuala Lumpur frequently changes location. Whether this instability is due to prejudice the children and their families endure, or whether because of limited finances is unclear. We visit during a sudden rainstorm, the tile street slick outside the second floor school. In a narrow room with 10 girls dressed in black hijabs, we talk about what information social media apps might collect about them. First responses mirror those of all of our groups, name, age, gender, password. Then the girls start looking at their phones and debating what else is collected. Location is discussed. Maybe some places, but not everywhere. Do the apps know their home address if they haven't provided it? A 14-year-old Eritrean refugee writes, anything you post on social media, every single person's number, it keeps your history, videos, conversations, images, shopping online. Asked why social media apps might collect information about them, a 17-year-old confidently answers, for national security. Another responds, for our protection. My facial expression must give it away because the first girl says, it's not. The girls start talking and there's confusion. They assumed the apps were acting in their best interest and any information they gave was for an altruistic purpose. Why would they want to know these things about me? The 17-year-old asks. I suggest for commercial purposes and the conversation stops. We shift to talking about what social media apps do not know about them. The same girl says that I am Muslim. She says she's never posted anything about her religion online. I look at her hijab smiling wryly and ask if she's posted photos of herself. She puts her hand to her head, returning the smile and nods. As a group, we take this new knowledge and turn it over. Is it dangerous for the apps to know so much? Probably not. They reflect on all of the reasons they enjoy social media. With staying in touch with friends and family in their home country, the primary positive, followed by meeting new friends. The girls enjoy learning new things that, through watching videos about cooking, painting, crafts, gardening, and fitness. A few of the girls describe thinking the apps cared 
about them to provide all of these wonderful opportunities for free. At a larger refugee school elsewhere in Kuala Lumpur, teens have a much more sophisticated understanding of data privacy. Everything, one girl says, Google knows everything about us. A boy behind, beside her leans forward and adds, on your phone, they save all your data. You're in the hospital, Google knows already. Another boy asks, you know Facebook owns WhatsApp and Instagram? As his classmates nod. He repeats the refrain, everything. They know everything. Another boy says he changes the date and month of his birthday, but shrugs about whether that this makes a difference. Doesn't know exact age, but almost same. Another boy responds, you can do that, but they already know the truth. They just let you fake it. Speaking over each other, the group calls out all that is known about them by their apps. Relationships, it can discover if you're single. Location, what school you go to, your high school, where you work, your occupation. As a further description, a 16-year-old boy clarifies, most people lie about their occupation on Facebook. I told them I work at Facebook. His classmates stop their writing to laugh together. Their list of what data is collected about them rivals any expert's list. Their list of potential negative experiences encountered online might even surpass most adults' understanding. This level of understanding is not the norm. There is a spectrum of awareness around what information is collected and for what purposes. In our focus group discussions, understanding does not seem related to socioeconomic status or even level of use. In most cases, older children were more knowledgeable, but not always. The teens have advice for promoting privacy, but are not optimistic. A 17-year-old avid gamer and Pakistani refugee explains, For Google and other websites, if you don't log in with your email, they can't save much about you. Most of the information that's collected is usually linked to your email, so that's how they know who you are. Usually you have to use your email for most things. Before he finishes his advice, his classmates respond, My Instagram email and my Facebook email are different. Another says, do you know how many emails I have? Not just two. Another says, I think I have five. Another adds, I have two phone numbers, one I use for everything, one nobody knows. When asked what advice they would give to a younger sibling about protecting their privacy, a 16-year-old Liberian refugee says, honestly, I think if you expose them earlier and show them how they're using it, if you teach them how to use it, there's a lower chance of them experiencing problems. A 16-year-old Rohingya refugee adds, Sometimes they learn stuff. From YouTube, you can learn a lot of things. A 17-year-old Afghani refugee adds, it has to be monitored by parents so they can go and check what the kids are using. A 15-year-old girl sitting across the table nods, saying, you can use it, but the parents just need to be involved. Caught amidst global platforms with limited to no protections for vulnerable young users, and in national contexts where the rule of law is weak, there is an expectation of individual responsibility for data privacy without any actual transparency or ability to control social media platforms' data privacy practices. Most of the children participating in our focus groups, like their counterparts in the U.S. and U.K., had internalized messaging from tech companies and governments that limit the liability of companies and expect the individual to protect their privacy, even though the platforms make information public by default and are opaque about their data use practices. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from Our Lives Online, Use of Social Media by Children and Adolescents in East Asia. To read the report and listen to other excerpts, please visit literacyonline.net. The work was commissioned by UNICEF's East Asia and Pacific Regional Office and supported by the Global Partnership and Fund to End Violence Against Children. If you'd like to respond or provide feedback to this report, 
We'd love to hear from you. Please tweet to at literacy online with your thoughts and feedback.